This episode of Today, Maybe Forever is presented in collaboration with the Atlanta Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs. I'm Floyd Hall, and this is Today, Maybe Forever. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with visual artist and photographer Ken West. Ken, how are you doing? Doing great, man. How are you? Doing great. Glad to have some time with you today. We are here in Gallery 72 uh, as as part of uh, or in conjunction with your exhibition, The Beauty of Everyday Things. And I wanted to ask you, um, as, as a photographer, uh, when did when did the camera feel right in your hand for the first time? Wow. I think it was sort of an escape valve for me. So I did a lot of work on um, in New York City and advertising and you know, financial services and, and environments like that. Very structured, very rigid, um, highly math oriented. Uh, and the camera was my escape valve. And so it allowed me to get more in tune with people and you know, step away from spreadsheets and lines of computer code and get into more flexible ways of looking at the world, you know, more authentic ways of looking at the world. Um, we're, 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 we're here uh, during the run of your exhibition, yep. The Beauty of Everyday Things. Um, what does... What, what does the everyday, what does even that term look like, feel like for you? Mm. I mean, for me, it's, it's a direct opposition to prepared things, to things that are um, groomed and crafted and then presented to people. And I think that we've grown as a society to understand or at least appreciate things that are laid out on a platter and manicured and groomed, and we lost a sense of the things that make the everyday things meaningful and perfect in their own way. Okay. Um, I feel like within that, there is this connection to the commonality of, of experiences, of, of activities that by and large, the majority of, of humans in, in our society, you know, encounter or kind of do, you know, from sleeping to uh, doing your hair or playing with your kids if you have kids or, or just sort of those, those quiet activities or those, those personal activities that maybe um, feel more ordinary, but everyone sort of does them in their own kind of way. Mm. What I want to get from, from you, though, because um, I do feel that connection um in in thinking about those activities um how do you or, or what what excites you or, or interests you in terms of what to highlight out of that that might resonate with someone else hmm. yeah so yeah i i guess it's, i gotta say like that goes to my process okay right and what I feel like is so addictive about what I'm doing is I look at photography, documentary photography, as really being, um, it's a meditation for me, you know? The profession I was in um, previous to this was really uh, technological, highly technological, a lot of artificial intelligence things, and 
e-commerce, design, it's all numbers, it's all computer code. And I started to do this um, when I lived in New York, just walking the streets of New York, finding these moments of serenity, peace, things that sort of contradicted the life that I was living. So it was very unstructured, very clear and very pure in its humanity. So that's what I always strive to do. So I never really know what I'm going to get. Yeah. And sometimes I go for months and don't get anything. Uh, but when I capture something that is special, then I really have learned to appreciate that. And I think it shows in the collection I've assembled here and some of the other works that I have. And I think people, people respond to that because something in that in that purity, in that realness, in that authenticity appeals to them. You definitely capture some moments, right? Um, I look at your work, I, I stopped by um, before we had this conversation, so I wanted to make sure I, I saw the work. And what, what jumps out to me is that what I, what I assume about your process, and feel free to push back on this, that there's a lot of anticipation and waiting and and spontaneity around trying to capture a certain moment. Like you may have the scene set up, but you're waiting for a certain thing to happen, or maybe it doesn't happen. But you're you're somewhat. Um, it's like you know I'm not a hunter, but it, it feels like when 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 you you sort of hear those tales of of folks who who sit and wait for hours upon hours waiting for the deer to come, yeah. so they can you know try to try to make a um, a shot. And I think that with with your work. It seems like these are moments that are very micro, like it happened right then, it may not have happened, or it might have been fleeting. Yeah. Um, so talk more about uh, that process of, of both waiting and the anticipation in that. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a perfect analogy, the, the hunting thing. I remember just fishing with my grandfather when I was a, when I was a kid, just feeling like you may or may not get anything but just being there and being present is what makes the whole thing special you know what I mean and like I said I, I typically shoot during the day when I shoot film I shoot during the day because the lighting is better um, and I just start walking I'll walk five ten miles a day just sort of waiting to see what I can encounter and sometimes I'll post up and sometimes I'll keep it moving uh, it just really depends, you know, it's not, there is no formula, you know, it's just about, it's pure persistence, and, and I feel like the universe presents these moments to me, and as a photographer, anybody who takes photographs knows, like, you, shut, you set your shutter speed, right? It could be one two hundred and fiftieth of a second, so you take one second, cut into 250 pieces, and then your timing on the shutter is what determines what part of that 250 piece of light gets captured. Mm. And that's what I'm fascinated by. I have very little control. I have parameters, but I don't have... No one is saying, don't do this, don't do that. It's the universe that's sort of making the, the preservation of that exact moment um, available you know, to me and, and hopefully to other people to come look at it. You mentioned walking, and you mentioned living in New York, mm -hmm. and um, I feel like you've lived, coming from, from Nashville, mm -hmm. um, um, but you've lived in 
walkable cities. Yeah. Um, which to me helps to facilitate those types of moments because um, being in a place like New York where there's blocks upon blocks upon blocks, each block may be different or yeah. there may be a different mystery or something that happens along the way yeah. where you have the opportunity to keep it moving mm-hmm. or just to kind of keep walking yeah. um, or to just stay here and let something come to you, right? Yeah. Um, but I want to ask you within that, the context of the everyday, how much of that larger context is maybe even shaped by um, not 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 class or or like bigger issues, but I think about let me add, make it make it make it micro for you. I think about living in New York, where a block. You know, um, in Fort Greene, uh, 20 years ago, felt a certain way. Yeah. So someone's everyday experience in that neighborhood may feel different than someone's everyday experience in, in that neighborhood now. Oh, yeah. It may feel different. The, the activities may be different. So to wrap it around, this context of the everyday, do you ever give any thought to how much, how much of that even is shaped by economics class, yeah. um, access, money, you know, those kind of things. Yeah, it's an excellent, it's interesting you bring that up. So I remember, I was in Fort Greene. That's when I lived in New York. I was in the Fort Greene section of Brooklyn 20 years ago. And, you know, you had, you just had flavor. You had a certain type of this ascendant black culture that was, you know, very pro-social and based on different principles of diaspora. It was really just a beautiful thing, you know? But if you go back there now, fast forward 20 years, that presence is not as strong. And I think a lot of ways to preserve those moments was to really preserve the heartbeat at that time, you know? It's really kind of interesting to see the passage of time through, through, through those images. And what's weird about that is that there will be someone who maybe comes of age in this current era of Fort Greene who will feel the same way about about this. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And fast forward 20 years, they'll say that was the heartbeat because things are always changing. Yeah. And, you know, and I, 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 we're in Atlanta, we're a city, you know, the city is experiencing lots of, of those kind of conversations where the neighborhoods that were culture um, maybe came out of or what we kind of feel culture whatever that word means but what we what we kind of attribute to that mm-hmm. um, those neighborhoods are now experiencing some level of, of uh, change but whoever comes in now will feel a different way about it 20 years from now than folks who who, who, uh, who uh, grew up here mm-hmm. um, but to, to go back to your New York experience but also maybe your Nashville roots so you and I share some things growing up in the south both living in New York I went to Columbia you went to NYU mm-hmm. um what about that dichotomy of of southern versus city life, New York City life? Yeah. Um, what about that um, speaks to you? Wow. I, w- I always feel like my years in New York was a lot. They were like graduate school for life because there was um, the resources that are there, the cultures that are there. It's a very dynamic, like you said, it's a very dynamic environment. I didn't necessarily have it growing up, 
I had a very idyllic childhood growing up on, you know, farm and having raising your own animals and raising your own food. And then being in a city where everything is part of some system. It's this complex interwoven network of systems to get milk into New York City. There's no there are no cows in New York City, right? No but somehow every day there's milk coming into the city. There's imports coming into the city. There's a this very intricate set of circumstances. And I feel like what drew me to the city was wanting to experience that and wanting to not just, you know, go to school, but to also get something out of the city from a cultural perspective, you know? And I grew up a lot there, you know, ideology. I grew up, you know, during the week, I would go to Catholic school and during, on the weekend, I was Baptist. So it was sort of like this, two, this duality of religious or spiritual consciousness was always there. And after I moved away from home, that just sort of morphed into an intimate curiosity about the intricacies of the world, you know, on all levels. You know, um, how does the legal system work? How does the court system work if you go to a specific country? Or, you know, what's the favorite food and why? Or who do they pray to? And what does the entity look like? and asking a lot of just fundamental questions that may seem like the, the, the types of questions that children ask, like that, that even make a, an adult stumble because they don't really know how to answer it, right? So I really find like I appreciate the answers that I get when I ask simple questions, you know, because I think there's a certain, there's a truth there that ties people together in a way that complexity doesn't. You know, complexity doesn't always stitch people together. Complexity sometimes gives people a rigid and unyielding understanding of the world. You know, and I think a lot of some of the images that I do are really intended, I guess maybe on a subconscious level from, from me, to really reintroduce this notion of simplicity being not just um, something that's neat, but something that's an essential part of the human character. Now you mentioned uh, living in different places. You've you've lived in lots of different places um, at this point, overseas, both um, overseas and also in in the uh, U.S. And I want to go back to this this notion of of the everyday because I think for cities like New York or cities like Paris that are such tourist tourist destinations that if you go for a short period of time, you're trying to force a lot into it. To get, to get the most out of your time, right? Yeah. But I'm wondering for you, in terms of settling into a place, how long or, or what is the, the process for you to get settled into a place to get comfortable with the everyday? Yeah, wow. So I really feel like then, for that I do have a bit of a formula, or at least I have some key principles, right? And I think the first thing is, don't do touristy stuff off the rip. I go where the real people live, and I eat what they eat, and I try to blend in as much as a person from America can blend in. You know, just to experience, okay, average every day, because that's what's actually normal. Most people, when they go to a foreign country or a place that's unfamiliar to them, they want to go to the things that they've either heard about that are normal in their mind, or they want to experience uh, things that are close to what they know, 
they go to the hotel because it's a particular brand and they got that brand in my hometown and I'm familiar with that. Or there's a restaurant they serves this type of food that I'm used to eating. And I try to get away from that as much as possible and get where, you know, I want to find out how people earn their money. I want to find out how people uh, resolve conflict if there's no court system or if there's not like a very litigious society. And, you know, understanding that, I think it, it's helped me to sort of understand the roots of humanity and really try to be more empathetic. It's really enabled me to, to be more empathetic with understanding how, you know, the core values, the core elements of human character. And they really are, you know, it's global, you know. Certain things are certain global. There are nuances to culture, obviously. But, but for all intents and purposes, I really see, I've had the opportunity to see a lot of what makes us human and what makes us the same. So, so when you are capturing these images, going back to sort of maybe your, your process or maybe how you think about your work, the gestures or the, the uh, subtleties, um, what conversations, if any, do you ever have with the subjects of your work? Wow. It depends. So... A lot of the stuff I do is more documentary or street-oriented, and in those, it's hit or miss. Sometimes the conversation are about me answering the question, hey, why are you taking my picture? And sometimes, they, even that has a spectrum of response, right? Some people are, like, very upset, and some people are, like, they want to pose, which is something I'm not a huge proponent of, right? But when, when we do have a conversation... First thing they want to do is see the picture. But the problem with that is the majority of the work that I'm doing is on film. So I can't show them <laughs> I can't show them until I get the film processed and developed. So invariably what winds up happening is I get their contact information and I send them, you know, copies of the picture. If they want to print out, I give them that. But there's a longer term relationship that spans from just a photograph would, would be a natural just moment of just taking a photo. But I've developed several long-lasting friendships with people, a lot of the subjects, just because just a happen chance, happenstance meeting, you know? But they want to know, in terms of their curiosity, the, the most common question is, you know, I want to take pictures too. How can I, how do I get started? And I always say the same response. I would rather have a $200 camera and a $2,000 plane ticket than a $2,000 camera and be where I am, you know? To be able to see something beyond where I am that's not normal to me is sort of the fuel that gives me uh, the passion to keep doing this, you know? What does Atlanta mean to you right now? Wow. I, I started coming to the city when I was a toddler. My cousin Hannah lived over on uh, Tiger Flowers, right off Westlake. And it would be her and cousin Joe. And I would, she had, she was a, like a very popular caterer at the time. But all, the, all of her catering was done inside this little tiny kitchen. So she would turn out meals for like 400 people in this little probably be a quarter the size of most contemporary homes. And 
I juxtapose Atlanta by those moments. And what I would like to see more is a warmth and togetherness. And when I experience the, those moments of warmth and togetherness, like I know Atlanta has like a super strong, supportive community. It makes me feel, it makes me feel proud to be from this place, you know, or to be in this place. And I'm super excited about where it could go, but at the same time, I'm kind of scared because I feel like a lot of the people who played such an integral part of my development as a young person are in communities that are, you know, marginalized by the forces of, of, of capital and, you know, all the cultural vibrations that come from that, you know? Where do you buy film these days? What's that? Where do you buy film? <laughs> Anywhere I can get it. <laughs> you know, you, you mentioned that a, a few times, and I'm sure uh, our, our audience, you know, heard it. But I'm thinking, you know, in this era where there's so much ease of access to to digital photography, digital content. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking, you know, where would I buy film these days? You know, it's it, there's several places. There's a movement, you know, of film shooters that's that's growing worldwide, and a lot of uh, film companies that previously had either scaled back drastically or shut down entirely, they're rebooting their facilities, you know? And always, it's, it's getting more and more uh, available, thankfully. However, um, processing the film, you don't want to just trust your film to anybody. So I'm very particular about who I let process uh, my, my images. Um, but that's been the bigger struggle, maintaining you know, the level of volume that I have and you know, finding a reliable processor. That's, if you got somebody, please, I need to find them. <laughs> but I, I got a guy, but you, know, you just never know. It's, right. it's a single person. Right, right. You mentioned that sometimes you can go for months without really capturing anything. Yeah. How do you deal with that? How do you get out of that? I love when I get it right so much that it carries me. And sometimes, man, it lasts for the last year. I think I've taken probably around 3,000, 4,000 pictures, film pictures. And I, I, don't, I haven't seen 10 that I'm excited about. But those 10 make me excited enough to go out not knowing if I'm gonna get anything or really expecting not to get anything, you know? And I feel like it was a, it was a man who survived the concentration camps who was like, if you have a strong enough why, your survival will not be in question. And so, those 10 images that I get out of 4,000, that's my why. Because I know that those 10 can positively impact a lot of people, you know, if I get the, the feeling that I normally get. And that's what keeps me moving, you know? The beauty of everyday things, Ken West. Ken, before we, we close up, if there is an image, if you can, if you can pick one um, from this exhibition that you feel either you, know, you keep coming back to it yourself or, or really 
um, you feel like embodies that phrase, that title. And maybe I'll give you two images. Okay. Um, <laughs> what would they be? Wow. Two. Okay. Uh, can I pick two from this room? Sure. I'll yeah. pick two from this room. Okay. It'll be the one uh, with stick outside of the, the, the gold, the jewelry store. Um, and I favor that one because it really does, it really does speak to the values that he has as an artist of really standing in stark contrast with material, unspiritual aspects of our culture. You know and that's mean? uh Stickman uh from uh Dead Press. Right. Correct. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. So in terms of him being a type of person that is very he walks it like he talks it, he is authentic and is in pursuit of, you know, a certain amount of sincerity and empathy in his work. And I feel like that one, his pose outside of the store, just really reflects that. You know, standing as a representative of a natural reality versus something that's engineered and questionable <laughs> in its intent, you know? So that's one. Um, the other is this, this Hoop Dreams um, Atlanta, where it's, it's a group of young kids on this playground and at a ba- basketball court, to be specific, and it's right after the point guard has taken the shot from the three-point line. And I remember, this as a young person playing sports, there's always like this moment where everybody's focused on this one thing, and in the photograph they focused on the ball mid-flight, and everybody's sort of like in a very contemplative um, pose really ex- expecting an outcome but not knowing what the outcome is but there's still no judgment there's no uh, expectation in that moment other than there will be an outcome and I feel like from a, from a person who is deeply uh, into meditation that's the moment that I'm always in pursuit of the moment where I have no expectation or the, the, the my anxiety level is not driven by will it will it go left or will it go right it's sort of a not caring but okay with both and i feel like that's what i like about about that particular image you know it makes me feel that sense of centeredness again ken west the beauty of everyday things ken thank you for your time my pleasure man thank you very much